Hello and welcome to the PopBreak.com's official Oscars podcast, hosted by Marissa Carpico and Matt Taylor. everyone this is marissa carpico the film editor at thepopbreak.com i'm here with our uh well, well our ex-tv editor <laughs> at this point i guess i should not say anymore oh we're gonna have to re-record some oscar podcasts <laughs> i know i was our entire oscar season is me being introduced to the tv editor <laughs> yeah oh boy um anyway matt taylor say hello matt <laughs> hi everyone um and we're we're here you know for the first time in uh, we literally don't actually know how long um like probably like two months to talk about uh oscars not not our past oscar retrospective podcast but um the way too early oscar podcast which is actually now on time uh because it is the thick of uh oscar season after this goes up uh well this goes up after the golden globes will have aired but we will be talking about those um in our next episode because uh young matt here has has tickets to a plan also i'm 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 still figuring out what country and time zone i'm in so i'm a little i'm not sure i'm actually gonna watch it because i mean i just i just need time to like clean my apartment and make some food um but anyway uh we're gonna talk about all the movies that have come out since we sort of last met um which is a lot of shit so um I think what we were going to talk, let's talk about one I, we are both kind of not sure that we um, have talked about yet. Um, <laughs> then we'll get into some juicy stuff. But uh, the Tom Hanks, um, Mr. Rogers movie, um, is it called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood? I've, I've, I've totally <laughs> blanked now. <laughs> it is. It is. A Beautiful yeah. Day in the Neighborhood. <laughs> I was like, it's not the documentary. Uh, full Full stroke there. Um, you reviewed it for the site because you saw it um, at a festival. Uh, I don't think I re- did. I review it for the site. I don't remember. I don't- oh fuck! Now, now it's it's all so blurry, isn't it? Um, I don't think you reviewed it for this the the <laughs> for the actual um, what's it called for the festival. You did it later, is what happened. Okay, I'll take your word for it. I don't, I'm gonna, I don't- I'm, gonna, I'm gonna double check that. But why don't you talk about it while I double check that? <laughs> yeah. Um. A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, I saw it at Toronto. I I enjoyed it quite a bit. I think um, if you listen to our Toronto episode, I, I had some reservations about the, the narrative devices the movie used. Like, I don't love the way it basically beca- – like, it feels like a Mr. Rogers episode at various points. Like, um, but, like, I like what Marielle Heller is doing. I really like Tom Hanks' performance. I think there's, like – it's a good performance that works with Marielle Heller's really smart um screenplay actually she didn't write the screenplay but you know the the screenplay she's working with and um you know i think it's a good movie i wanted to try to see it again over thanksgiving because um i wanted to see if i warmed up to it more but i wasn't able to but i do like it quite a bit i don't love it quite as much as other people but um there's a lot to respect about it and i'm all for mariel heller just continuing to direct interesting mature movies about like complicated people yeah, uh, Matt is correct. No one reviewed it for the site. Uh, so. <laughs> Whoops. Um, <laughs> listen, like I said, it's been a while. Okay. <laughs> we're all we were traveling. We, we were both traveling the globe. Basically, it's. I like... was literally living in the future, so y'all need to calm down. Um, 
<laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, yeah, I I saw it um, in a regular theater. Um, I think a couple days after it had come out at the Alamo. And you know that scene, I mean, uh, Matt knows the story, so I, you you can choose or pre- choose to pretend that you don't know it or not, Matt, at this moment. <laughs> um, but I was sitting there, there's a scene in the film where Tom Hanks, as uh, Mr. Rogers says to Matthew Reese, um, let's just take a minute of silence. So the movie, that we and they literally do a minute of silence. And the minute of silence happens, and then the screen goes black and, and everybody in my audience is like, I don't know. That's, we finished the minute, right? <laughs> like <laughs> the sound came back up, like it's over now. Uh, but the projector had broken for, um, it was opening weekend. That's actually right. Because it was like, an, it was the first time they were running the print um, or the digital, whatever. Um, and the projector had broke and then the projector had broke for about an, uh, 45 minutes. So we all just kind of sat there and I was like, I'm not coming back to see this a second time. I could leave now, but I'm not going to. So I sat there and I got a free movie ticket and a free popcorn out of it or a free like, meal, um, out of it from Alamo. And then I eventually came back on. Um, all that to say the film was compelling enough, but, um, I didn't need the 45 minute <laughs> blank screen, but you know, it didn't really hurt it too much. It was a pleasant film. I don't know if, for me at least, the what it's exploring about, um, like grief and depression, and the way that people manifest manifest that, and, and the way people react to that, um, is quite as sophisticated as I would have liked. I mean, I think uh, for me, there's a Matthew Reese's character who's the the journalist who writes the article um, under a different name than the actual journalist journalist who wrote the article about Mr. Rogers um, is. His his sort of trauma and PTSD manifests as anger, and I think we're still in a place, uh, I don't know, societally or whatever, where we can't, the only acceptable way to grieve or to be traumatized, express trauma, is to be, like, sad, and aggression is still not accepted. Like, aggression and, like, defensiveness is not, is not sympathetic to people, Um and I think the movie, unfortunately, plays into that. Um, I just, that's, but, like, I just wish there were a larger spectrum of acceptable forms of grief, is what I'm saying. And I, and I think the movie, the, the Rogers character understands that, but the movie itself perhaps doesn't. Um, and that's my major issue with it. But it is a pleasant film. Tom Hanks is fine. It's, a, it's still not a great performance in my mind. Like, I also rewatched Castaway recently, and I was like, man, what a performance. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. It's fine for me, but what what are your full thoughts on it since you didn't actually review it? <laughs> I, um, I like what Tom Hanks is doing a lot in the, in the performance. I think it's the sort of thing Tom Hanks is so distinct, like his whole persona as an actor is so distinct mm-hmm. and, um, it all, Mr. Rogers whole persona is distinct where he never is able to fully, disappear into the part which like i don't think any actor would be able to do but um i appreciated what he was doing i think there's enough of a subversion of his of tom hanks's own persona to feel interesting and i really like the scene that sticks with me which i won't spoil here even though it's not like there's this movie has any major surprises but um his tom hanks last scene in the film which is like wordless i think is a very powerful 
subtle bit of acting that has really stuck with me in the movie other like beyond um the rest of the film and in a way out of all like the major supporting actor contenders that beat has stuck with me more than like anything that like brad pitt does in once upon a time in hollywood or mm. al pacino in um the irishman like i i think about that beat a lot so i really um i find that interesting i i i see what you mean about like the the way that film's messaging about grief is not necessarily um i think it's very you know like idealistic i guess or something sure. like that like but um i find the the film itself like you said like pleasant it's entertaining it's a great like thanksgiving movie for families it was like the perfect film to release around that time and um, <laughs> i'm happy it exists i'm more just like hoping that it gives Marielle Heller the steps to like be able to make more films that I think are more her vision where she can write the script like she did for, um, can you ever forgive me? Because I think she's the one to watch from this. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's accurate. Like there were, uh, uh, choices in it that like I found, uh, like that were unexpected and very charming, you know, the way the film is framed as an episode of Mr. Rogers and like the interstitials, of um, setting where we are by having like a little uh, Mr. Rogers neighborhood uh, puppety version of like uh, San Francisco or not San Francisco, um, New York and, 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 and Pennsylvania and all these different places uh, was very charming and like felt like a Hellerism, if you will, <laughs> um, in a good way that like, I don't know. I, I think the whimsy of it was very impressive considering how heavy technically the, the subject matter is, you know? Yeah. And I, I just love her ability to create empathy with, <clears throat> with people and everything like that. Like, I think the scene you mentioned where you're the, um, the power went out in your theater, the, um, the minute of silence, I think is such a, a well-directed scene. Um, mm -hmm. and it, it like, it reminds me a lot of the emotions that I had watching. Can you ever forgive me of the way she's able to just like, transmit emotion <laughs> into her film basically and like that's not always clear in a beautiful day in the neighborhood maybe because i just don't care enough about the subject as i did with like can you ever forgive me but mm -hmm. um i just think she's like one of the most empathetic filmmakers working right now and i'm just very excited to see um where she goes from here she, like it, i just she she's someone who i think is worth watching yeah no i think that's absolutely correct um all right, let's let's move on from a movie we barely remember <laughs> to talk about. Um, no offense to the movie, it's just you know it's been so long. Um, let's go to something uh, that's had quite a bit of legs for in terms of um, people still watching it and it being very popular, um, and that neither of us reviewed, um, which is *Knives Out*. Uh, Ryan Johnson, uh, writer director Ryan Johnson's. Um, follow-up basically to the last jedi a film we both like the last jedi mm -hmm. um uh knives out is i'll just do a quick summary of it i suppose um it's got a huge cast it's a it's a murder mystery um there's a scene in it where one of the characters is watching um an episode of Murder, She Wrote, which is appropriate because I've been watching a lot of Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> and I actually hit that that exact um, episode like five days after seeing the movie. Um, the episode is in Spanish, so I think I hit it anyway. Um, but it's a, an old-timey murder mystery, basically. Um, a The patriarch of a rich family, played by Christopher Plummer, uh, dies 
under somewhat mysterious and, and complex circumstances. Um, and he leaves his fortune to his maid played by Ana de Armas, um, or his nurse, I guess. Uh, and, um, the white family's pissed about it and it's a big old metaphor. Um, it ultimately didn't quite work for me because of the, if you're going to set a metaphor that big, basically, I think it, 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 there, you have to make it perfect. And I don't think it is quite as perfect as what, like, Ryan Johnson is trying to say something with the film, and I think he said it with more finesse in TLJ. Um, Mm. My problem with this is that it falls into a couple, like, unfortunate traps, I think, of, of, that just feel a little regressive. Like, there's, there's been a decent narrative about the way that the the DeArmas character has to be sort of like this perfect immigrant situation. Mm. Um, And if we're going to talk about a woman in particular being somewhat like if you're thinking of his work as a, with a through line of, of female agency, I don't think that character quite has it as much as I would like in the final or, or she should really in the final, um, final act where it becomes a showcase for a Daniel Craig performance that is actually kind of bad. Um, in my opinion, at least, um, and or at least not as interesting as he, as the film seems to think it is. Um, or enjoyable, maybe. Um, and instead of av- allowing the female character to have agency in her her sort of <laughs> what happens, it all is being mansplained to her and a bunch of people by a white dude, which is from the South, which is really just not the optics, I think, the film should have ended with, frankly. <laughs> but, oh well. Um, yeah, I don't know. The, the final image is great. But I think the the film is a little, maybe half an hour too long is my, is my opinion of it. Um, what are your thoughts on it, Matt? Yeah. Um, <laughs> basic, basic, um, rundown of my, my thoughts. Um, I liked it a lot. I, I love Ryan Johnson and I find it kind of funny. Um, I mean, there's a reason why this is like one of his more celebrated films because of the narrative of his career. Mm-hmm. But like, if I had to rank all of his movies, mm-hmm. it it probably be like my least favorite or like second to least favorite. Not because like I I enjoy it. I think it's a really fun movie. I just think his other films are so such um like like are so much more interesting. And um this is like it works. I it was a a fun movie to go watch with like a big group of people. It is like a real crowd pleaser sort of film. Mm-hmm. Um I do agree. I think there's um it like the perfect immigrant narrative of it does kind of feel a little um unfortunate and everything and it it's sort of i think there's a more interesting way you could have gotten to the ending that it gets to which is satisfying mm-hmm. in a vacuum um without incorporating the narrative i also find it very interesting and i won't get into spoilers but like the final image in the film's main theme is very very similar to mm-hmm. how hbo's watchmen and ended um like they basically have the same thesis and um like the last images are incredibly similar but um i think like and they're very different in terms of tone but like watchman is able to get to that ending and have that metaphor without having to like make like any like anyone feel perfect or like have to incorporate like this sort of like perfect immigrant narrative as you mentioned before so i think yeah. like you know that in a way has lessened knives out 
in my mind, not by much, because I still think it's like a very fun blockbuster movie, but I am sort of surprised with how um, passionate people are about this film. I've seen it on a lot of top 10 lists, and I just, I'm just like, I don't know, like it never really approached that at all for me. And, um, but whatever, I don't want to review the, um, <laughs> the, the feedback. I just find it very, um, it's entertaining. I think Anna Del Armas, who I really don't remember ever having an opinion on like i know she's in blade runner 2049 but like i don't really remember her from it that well um i think she's incredible she Mm. i think yeah very good performance um i don't know how i feel about daniel craig's performance in this movie because like it's almost like cats where i'm just kind of (laughs) like like is it intentionally bad or is it just bad but i'm having fun and um i don't know but you know i'm happy to see daniel craig having fun in a movie since he hasn't done that since before he became James Bond, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm and, on record because I, I reviewed Logan Lucky a couple years ago um, as really disliking Craig's Foghorn Leghorn act. Um, and I think, I don't know, for a lot of the movie, it does seem like he is a joke, you know, but then the, the final act, I mean, sort of reverses all that in a really frustrating way for me. Um <coughs> But yeah, I think Anna de Armas is really good in it. Absolutely. Like now I'm excited for her in the new Bond. Um, yeah. The thing I will say, like, to engage with the discourse a little bit, are like part of what annoys me about the what the film is saying is that again, TLJ said the exact same kind of shit in a in a more nuanced and sophisticated way, and it what's frustrating to me about this film is that it makes all of that explicit and allows the douchebags who didn't like TLJ for, for saying exactly the same kind of crap um, to feel good about themselves and not realize that you're the person being called out by this film is you is, is actually you like you like this film a lot, but you are the asshole standing at, at the bottom of the stairs basically. So really think about that. And I, the, I think the film is, unfortunate in that way that it doesn't actually push the people it needs who needed to hear it in the to to actually self-examine it just reinforces that they're the good guys rather than saying no 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 no. you're this person actually um which i think has been borne out by people we know um (laughs) (laughs) i will say i recently rewatched the last jedi um a few weeks ago after seeing the other Star Wars, which name I always forget. <laughs> um, the Rise most recent of Skywalker one. or whatever. There we go, yes. Um, the um, Last Jedi, I just think, is such a, like, a minor miracle of a movie that I don't know how it was like, how it was pulled off. And um, it's like, and this is coming from someone who doesn't really care about Star Wars and never has, like, and has cared about Ryan Johnson basically since he came on the scene. Like, it is, I think, easily his best movie. And like, like one of like the highlights of studio filmmaking of the 2010s. And um, I'm happy that knives out is this in like the place of his narrative as a career, like knives out is like this victory lap of a movie of like, Oh, like after just being hated on the internet so much and then having to see what he did with last Jedi get ruined in this new star Wars movie. um, And to have that, that new star Wars movie subsequently panned in, by like fan fans yeah. and 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 like critics alike is and for this to come out and have a make so much money and b have b, be such a critical darling is really satisfying absolutely it is i can, and i cannot wait to see like 
where he what he does next. I think he has to use blank checks like terminology, like a great blank check in Hollywood, do whatever he wants next. And I I'm excited for that. I want to just rewatch all of his movies now. I, I haven't seen Looper in a while and I keep thinking about it and I just want to go watch that again. <laughs> yeah, I haven't actually I've seen most of them except for Brick, but which I you know has been on my Netflix queue for probably a decade. <laughs> It's good. Um, good. Yeah, I know. I hear it's great. I just haven't like because I've been lukewarm on his other stuff actually. Um, like Looper, I think is fine, but ideologically incomplete, or or at least like um, not ideologically, I would say, but like plot wise incomplete. Mm. But yeah, it was nice to have Knives Out come out, be such a huge hit, and then be such a lasting huge hit, and then for Rise of Skywalker to come out and be such a piece of shit because, in large part, because of it is like made as a counterpoint mm-hmm. to um to TLJ and also um in the worst way possible like it's just i keep thinking of uh the letterbox review of David Ehrlich where it's just like a feckless piece of <laughs> commercial or you know hollywood capitulation <laughs> to the worst people in the world and that's absolutely what it is and it's just it's devoid of ideas in a way that TLJ wasn't it's uh, afraid to be original in a way that TLJ wasn't. Um, it's drowned in mythology, its own like worthless mythology that no one gives a fuck about and which actually doesn't mean anything in the long run other than as like a, a little fanboy nostalgia thing uh, <laughs> in a way that TLJ wasn't and deliberately, you know, said was, was a problem. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's interesting to see like, you know the the little the little assholes got what they wanted out of Star Wars, but in twenty years, people will look that look at that film as a disaster, an utter disaster of poor writing and filmmaking. Frankly. It's sort of insane. Like watching Rise of Skywalker in theaters, um, mm-hmm. I just remember sitting there and being like, "What is this movie?" Like it feels like you're watching like the cliff notes of like or like a Reddit thread or anything like that, and it's like. Mm-hmm. And it's it is just like I don't know I find that movie so baffling and like rewatching the Last Jedi after seeing it I'm just like there is such a clear discrepancy between those two films in terms of like quality and just like just like I don't I it, it's ins- Rise of Skywalker is so fucking terrible and I keep seeing people who are trying to defend it who are just like oh like it's fun what did you want and i'm like is it fun i don't know like i i genuinely oh. not have any fun watching this movie <laughs> no it's, and, it's so joyless in it's in its commitment to just like callbacks and and they're all so worthless and they mean nothing in a larger context and like that was the whole thing about the last shot the last shot and what made it so resonant for people was that it meant something and a t- time when we were searching for fucking meaning in a on a social and political scale and this means nothing outside of its own navel gazing and even the navel gazing is embarrassing i mean i i'm not gonna necessarily say the twist but we all know it but that is the dumbest piece of writing i've ever heard and like i reviewed the thing and i i called it you know the worst like that fan fiction so bad that a fan fiction an actual fan fiction writer would be embarrassed to have written it <laughs> and i'm i'm serious about that like a good fan fiction writer would not have made the embarrassing fucking mistakes i mean that's the kind of the script is the kind of thing that comes out shortly after tlj comes out when like when a when like a like a you know a young person, a young, a young writer who's only written like two things or has never written anything gets so ha- hopped up on it that they like 
immediately say like, here's, here's the fix. And like the fix is the most embarrassing shit you've ever read that rewrites characters and rewrites like major mythology. And like just <laughs> makes no fucking sense when you dig into it for even half a second. And like, it's, it's so bad. I mean, it's the kind of thing that fan fiction writers would make fun of. Honestly, you, you know what I mean? It's so rough. <laughs> like, and it doesn't even bother to like make the internal logic of the twist work. Like no. when I saw, again, not to like, I, we won't spoil it, even though everyone knows it. Um, like the minute in the opening crawl, they had that line, like the dead speaks. I was like, absolutely not. Like it is like, that is not the only fucking way you can explain something and just like not even bother to make it make sense like it's just like it's like this is happening and it's like why i swear to god it's as if they just like spun a wheel and they were like this is the character we're going with like it's it's so silly but if that was jj's thing the whole time if because jj well this is the thing about jj and i I also say this in the review because i've followed his career for a very very long time um He's not he's great at setting up mythology. He's absolutely not good at following through on it. And if if that was his follow through point the whole time, my god, what a disaster. Like <laughs> nobody said anything. Like if only I had I had walked into his production office years ago like I was going to when I worked on the Paramount lot and said like, "Hey, hire me." Cuz I would have said something. I'd have been like, "No, don't do this. <laughs> so bad. Please do not do that." It is so embarrassing. I mean, it's just like it's so brutally bad. I, I, can't, I can't even, I can't even believe it. <laughs> I just really can't. And, and it's sad because it undoes the best part of Ryan Johnson's script, I think. Like, which was one of, like, truthfully, I, one of the best plot twists in, like, blockbuster history, I, I think. Like, Agreed. yeah, and it, I remember sitting in the theater, again, as someone who never really cared for Star Wars, um, sitting in the theater for the um, the um, Last Jedi, and when that twist happened, just kind of being like, oh, wow, like, this movie is special. Like, this is something interesting. And then to have it undone in the sloppiest way is just yeah. so silly, which makes Knives Out success all the more happy for like uh, to me. I'm just like, oh, thank God he, thank God Ryan Johnson won in the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's funny in the, you know, Knives Out is it's not really in the Oscar conversation or anything, but I mean, could have been. It's it feels adjacent in a way that TLJ almost became adjacent, where people were like, why aren't we talking about this for major yeah. awards? It's really good, and the performances are excellent. Um, I could see the script happening. I agree. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he probably should get a writing one. I think, again, I think I have some issues with it, but I think it's a very well-written piece of, um, piece of like, uh, playing on, on a genre. Especially, yeah. you know, again, if, if he really is using um, Jessica Fletcher <laughs> of, of Murder, <laughs> She Wrote as a, touch, as a sort of touchstone, it, it very much is a smart a smart way to update that and also the way he sort of reveals things very early is very impressive i think um oh yeah the scene like the scene where very in the first third where he makes the reveal about the mystery mm-hmm. i was like holy shit this movie's gonna be amazing and then it doesn't ever quite match that yeah. high again but it is right. a incredible scene yeah it's a brilliant scene and I, you're I, yeah i think it, it it like makes a promise that the rest of the film can't keep but um yeah and i think like I think the best revenge of all for him must be the way that Abrams's team is trying so hard now to blame it all on Disney when Oh yeah. <laughs> in, in the in the aftermath of like, you know, some anonymous person or whatever came out and was like, 
Disney did this and Disney did that. And like they cut all the scenes with Palpat like giving the Palpatine. Oh shit. <laughs> oh well. Um oh, actually no, that's that's in the yeah. It's, it's literally the opening. Crawl, that's the, the opening. The dead snake. Right. Um, yeah. That's not. There's. There's so many dumb twists. I forgot that wasn't even a dumb twist. Um, that like Palpatine is back and like. Um, oh, stupid. Sorry. It just hit me again how dumb that is. <laughs> like. Um, like. Like uh, they cut all those scenes. Explain it. It's like it's not. The problem isn't that those scenes are cut. It's that he's still alive. <laughs> it's, that's not it. Like. He wrote that. That's the problem. That's bad. That's just a stupid thing that makes the sacrifice of the first original three films with Pete, which people love so much, and that these that film seems to love so much, negates. <laughs> like all of that work, it's negated by Palpatine coming back and being mysteriously alive. Um, yeah. So it's just like he must be so happy to be watching like JJ fucking scramble and Disney fucking scramble, and like for the the narrative to only get more and more negative as time has gone on realistically. And it's only been out a couple of weeks, but like initially there was that, you know, there, there was that like slight def fan defense, but then they've been drowned out, which is wonderful to see, honestly. <laughs> and watching the um, cast all subtly like shade wow. the movie is very entertaining. And um, Oscar Isaac and John Boyega went hard. They went hard. I mean, they, they got messy and it's been wonderful to watch. That interview with Oscar Isaac where he was like, would you do the Disney Plus show? And he nope. says, no, yeah. Like, give him an Oscar for that clip. <laughs> like, and then Carrie Russell cackles and says, I can love you. It's the most beautiful. I mean, that, give that thing an Emmy. Honestly. Carrie Russell needs to stop returning J.J. Abrams' calls because it's like she should demand an apology for, for what he does <laughs> to her in this movie. bullshit. What a bullshit thing. Oh, there's so much to talk about there, but we just don't even have the time or the patience, really. Um, but wow, what a way to confirm your your character isn't gay. Stupid. Um, let's go on to a better film um, with better villains and better writing um, that has nothing to do with Star Wars. Um, Dark Waters, which is a, oh, yes. a sort of Aaron Brockovich um, type of film, but much darker from Todd Haynes, of all people, who does not seem like a, a good fit for such a serious, straightforward, realistically subject matter, given the rest of his career um, as a director. But man, it really worked for me and I know it really worked for you. So why don't you talk about it? Yeah. Um, I saw this like the third, like I like one of the Thursday preview screenings at my theater, just because I was like, Oh, like let me get this out of the way because I want to time to see it elsewhere. And it's probably going to be in theaters for like a week, which is what happened. And um, I went in with no expectations, even though I like Todd Haynes for the most part. And, um, and I liked Mark Ruffalo and Anna Hathaway and it like fully blew me away. Like I was like, by like the halfway point, I was just like, this is one of my favorite movies of the year so far. Um, yeah. And like the year's over. So like one of my favorites of the year. And, um, it is such great filmmaking, just like all around, like very reminiscent of ba basically Todd Haynes is doing what he did with 1950s melodrama, like to the 1970s um, investigation drama, basically. Like it is mm -hmm. just um, it is such an affectionate recreation of the that. paranoid thriller, if you will. Yes. Yes. That's a better um, explanation. Um, like. It is such a good recreation of that genre without like feeling like it's paying tribute. It really is just like entering into that genre and like 
evoking that time period so well. It's really compelling. And what I think is like the best trick he pulls in the movie is for about half of it, it really is just like this investigative movie um, about like the facts of the DuPont um, chemical case and everything. And it's very much like driven by um, a script that's detail heavy. And then in the second half, it suddenly becomes emotional and Mm. very angry in a way that just like studio fair like this usually isn't like it allows itself to really be mad about what's going on and to like revel in how unfair and horrible it is and how like poor people were victimized through this and everything it feels so relevant and um modern and everything in its execution and i i just think it's so so well done and I um, I was upset it left theater so fast because I really wanted to try to see it again. Mm. It's just – it's like such great filmmaking. And I am upset that it's – like Oscar chances are basically dead because I just think like 10 years ago this would have been like a Best Picture nominee and like a front runner almost. And now it's just like the world has changed so much where it just is like the one that gets forgotten about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's so excellent. I mean I, I, you're absolutely right. It's like – technically really well made and and uh and the storytelling is really really compelling and what i think resonates or what makes it work so well is that anger which is something that is so present in the the sphere socially and politically and whatever in the last couple years it's 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 something that people would really connect to and which other a film we're going to talk about in a second or what sort of talk about (laughs) Uh, uh, tries to do but never actually figures out, and this understands, you know, the this the sense of betrayal on a large scale by, you know, a formerly trusted um, company or system or whatever, so well, and expresses that anger in a really like, I don't know, meaningful way that also feels bizarrely hopeful that you know, I don't know, sort of ma- makes you makes the audience think like. Or me personally, at least as an audience member, think like, you know, shit can get done. Sometimes it's going to take fucking 15 years, but you know what? Shit can get done. Yeah, that last the, – the note it ends on is powerful and very optimistic. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what I kind of needed after sitting through two hours of like it being very heavy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. And it's like it's, – it's a film that understands catharsis in a way that like not a lot of films do in, in – um, even in a general sense, realistically. Um, yeah, it's so good. And it's unfortunate, like Mark Ruffalo is pretty good in it. Um, I mean, I, I sort of said this in my, my letterboxed review of it, I think, um, that like, oddly, the characters are archetypes and that's fine because like you said, he's playing with these tropes of a genre and what works about that is the genre stuff, not Mm -hmm. necessarily the individual parts, i.e. the, the performances, which, which are especially, you know, um, and Hathaway is the sort of screaming supportive wife, <laughs> um, you know, are, are, are so cliche, but he's what, what has always made him an interesting filmmaker to me, at least is the way that he can take cliche and make it and what has become campy and make it feel meaningful again, um, yeah. and reappropriate that. And I think he does that here in a really interesting way that like, and maybe that's why it doesn't, you know, it didn't get a real Oscar push or anything is because it's not actually a. It's not the kind of thing that would get nominated in every category because it's not supposed to. It's a it's a writing, cinematography, directing showcase rather than uh, an actor showcase, if you will. 
Yeah, and um, you know, I think Anne Hathaway is doing. I, I'm like, I want to know why Anne Hathaway did the film because, like, we talked about this when we both saw it. Um, <laughs> like, it's the sort of supportive life role that, like is well below her pay grade. Like this is the sort of thing that like an actress who was like on a popular TV show mm-hmm. would do usually. And it's like, and Katrina Bell. Oh, yeah. we should talk about Ford V Ferrari at some point. We never put that on the list. We did in our last episode. We did talk. Oh, okay, good, about good, good. Okay. <laughs> but it is funny. Like the two of them are really competing for who like the Claire Foy of this, of the year is. <laughs> but, um, it was choked. The, the one note that I think the, like the scripts, doesn't quite land with terms of playing with the genre is Anne Hathaway's speech of about like I'm not just the wife because I'm like eh, like the movie kind of thinks you are yes. but other than that um I think it's pretty good and Anne Hathaway is good in all those scenes like I think like you know Todd Haynes should write her a leading role in his next movie because like um I would love to see that and I hope that's like that was the deal she made when she when she took this part it's like I'll be the lead in your next movie mm-hmm yeah, I mean, I mean, there are bit, there's like documentation of like actresses, major actresses like Kate Winslet and stuff who worked with, with Haynes and said that he is a very enjoyable director to work with, um, for women uh, in general. So that, pro- that it's possibly that you know sometimes you just want to work with a director whose work you like and who you know is um, not going to treat you like shit on the set, you know, which is just a fact of life, man. Um, yeah, Dark Waters is great. See it when it comes out on whatever streaming service. Um, the next movie we're going to talk about is not something we're actually going to talk about for various uh, reasons having to do with like conflicts of interest with my job and stuff. Um, is Bombshell. Uh, we're not going to talk about it again because th- there's just no way for... It, it, it's, it only gets sticky. So basically, we, we basically share the same thoughts on it. It's a very... Unlike Dark Water, it's a very good actor showcase, but it is not actually... Um, very smart in its writing or well-directed necessarily. Um, yeah, that's kind of it. We're going to talk about it more when actual nominations come out for the Oscars because, um, Matt, you can go into this in a second, but I, I don't think it really, I mean, it's not going to, it's going to get maybe a couple nominations, but I don't, I don't know if it'll win them. What are your thoughts? Yeah. The one real contend you here i think is charlie's theron yep. both because she has like the most obvious transformation of like the actress contenders basically yep. um partially i think because of just how good the makeup is um yep. no shade to charlie's who's who's a great actress but yep. um but like best actress is such a weird category this year because like there's really no front runner right mm-hmm. now and like judy just might have come out too early and like yep. Renee has struggled to build up that narrative again. So mm-hmm. like um it's a sort of like there need the, in order to win best actress this year I think you need to have either a late emerging contender um and or like suddenly get a lot of interest and of all the late actress contenders which include like Sasha Ronan who we'll talk about and um oh. And um, Scarlett Johansson for Marriage Story, like Charlize is getting the most attention of those three. So I think that puts a lot of the weight in her corner. But also, Lupita Nyong'o is doing incredibly well in like the precursors. So I'm for us. So I'm like, it almost seems like it's going to be a race between them, which is exciting and interesting. But um, I have mixed feelings about the performances in the movie beyond like technical craft. We'll talk about it again when we get to like 
our category breakdown episodes next um or this month wow it's january yeah, um, second, really yeah yeah but like you know margot robbie nicole kidman and shirley Theron are all good actors and they they're, they're they they do good work in this film that's what else I'll, I'll leave it at yeah no i think yeah agreed um all right, let's move on to uh, a different movie. Um, uh, there's no connection this time. We're just moving <laughs> on to a different movie. Um, Frozen 2. Uh, I guess there's a blonde in the lead or whatever. There we go. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, the sequel to the smash hit from Disney Animation, Frozen. Um, neither of us reviewed it for the site. Um I was cold. Oh man, I was—it's unintentional pun, but I was really <laughs> cold on on the original Frozen. I thought it was like a mediocrity, honestly. And, and like my my biggest memory from original Frozen was, um, I was in the theater and a rat ran through the aisle, like a big one, <laughs> silhouetted by the screen. Um, so I picked my bag up off the floor. Was pretty paranoid for the next hour or whatever it was. <laughs> what a um, experience that movie. Yeah, it was, I mean, every time I'm at that theater and in that specific theater, I'm like, oh man, remember that rat? (laughs) Um, But yeah, I was quite impressed with this new one. I think it does some interesting stuff about like grief and growing up um, and some of the songs are great. And there is so much subtext going on for the queer narrative that it's like, it's a shame that they didn't go full text, but like, I'm also kind of okay with it um on some level and i and honestly i think there's a there's a really useful reading of of elsa as actually like um asexual which would also be very interesting frankly as mm-hmm. as a as a piece of representation um because like literally name any asexual you've ever seen in a popular piece of um fiction um there's like one i can think of in that <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. So I think that would be fine. I mean, you know, either one would be wonderful as long as she doesn't end up with some fucking dude, basically. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I thought it was very good. I really liked a lot of the songs. Um, I almost cried once or twice. Uh, yeah, I liked it a lot. Um, if it wins Best Animation, which it actually might not, there's there's a lot of contenders for it this year. Um, like, you know, the other studios can smell blood on the wall, like... I, I don't know. Who knows? But what do you think about it? I um I remember really liking the first Frozen. I'm trying to think of which one came out first. Like either Frozen or Zootopia. Oh, like, was, it came out after. Okay, so like Zootopia was the last animated movie that my friends and I saw in theaters together and felt comfortable like going to see. And then after that, we were like, we were like. We hate being around children. So, like, my relationship with animated movies has changed since then. And I, I, I really only end up seeing a lot of them when they're, like, nominated for Best Animated Film. Um, and I watch them from the comfort of my home away from children. Um, so, like, it's been literally years since I saw Frozen. I remember liking Frozen a lot. I remember being more surprised by Frozen than anything else. Like, I kind of went in with no expectations, having not heard any of the music before that. And then was like, oh, I like the music, I like the story. There's definitely a queer narrative here, even though so much has changed since that movie came out, where I'm just like, I look back and I'm like, don't settle for breadcrumbs, man. Like, it's like, <laughs> like th- we, we should demand more. But, um, mm-hmm. but you know, um, I was interested in what they do with Frozen 2, and I don't know, I... I there, I think it's fine. I, I had more of an emotional reaction to the first Frozen, but I don't know if that's more just like the place I was at. Um, at the time, or um, like, 
I don't know, various factors. But I think it's a good movie. I think the animation is much better looking than the original, which looked always very cheap to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the voice works really good. I think that um, the Into the Unknown song <laughs> is like incredibly catchy and i've had it stuck in my head basically ever since seeing it even though i will say i do prefer the panic of the disco version (laughs) to the adina mental my my god you are canceled (laughs) i'm sorry no adina mental incredible come on the pod but adele dazim is shaking (laughs) but that panic of the disco version is pretty good um the rest of the songs I found kind of hit or miss, but um, you know none of them were bad. Like they were, they all worked in the moments. Um, I thought there was a better use of Olaf in this one than he was, or like than he was used in the first movie. Even though I still don't know how I feel about Josh Gad as a as a as a celebrity. Um, and you know, it was fine. It, it was cute. I enjoyed it. I um, I I had more fun watching Toy Story. Four, yeah. I'm like, which which number? Toy Story was it? <laughs> I was like in my head doing the math. I had more fun watching Toy Story four, but um, you know, either one winning would be fine. I kind of agree though. It's interesting that the animated films that are getting a lot of attention are like the the weird ones this year. Um, like that one. What is it? I lost my body. The um, the yeah, yeah. One is winning I, every- on Netflix. I haven't seen it yet, but yeah, I lost my body. Yeah, like that one's getting so much attention, and then um, weathering with you, I think, is going to be a big deal. That I, is opening in two weeks, I think, and I'm very curious to see that. That'll probably be one that I actually venture to in theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. I don't know. Um, yeah, but not bad. I think Into the Unknown will be a very good best original song um, winner out of all like the best original song contenders. I think it's easily the best. Like there are some really shitty best original song nominees coming the, our way. I feel it. It's a, whew. I mean, considering last year was like great for original song. This year looks like a fucking bag of garbage. It's really rough. It's insane. It is like, I, I don't want them to perform any of them. Cause I'm like, I don't want to see it. <laughs> like it's oh, like, yeah, I, don't make me <laughs> suffer through it. <laughs> I would not like to see it. In fact. Um, yeah. I don't know. What the fuck? Yeah, Into the Unknown would be a great winner, but I, I suppose there are other things. And and you're right, Fork, uh, um, I was going to call it Forky, but I mean, that was the big takeaway in Toy Story <laughs> 4. Um, like, the fact that they had this sort of existential conversation through a, a, a Fork who knew who knew he shouldn't be alive, or Spork who <laughs> knew he shouldn't be alive, was like some of the funniest shit I've ever seen. And I, I do think the film sort of, uh, again, has an ide- ideological issue of, and it fails in the last quarter or whatever, but like, you know, Hey, it's, it's great. It's great. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Frozen two is whatever it's, I, I liked it a lot considering I truly didn't care for the first one. Um, I'm happy they let Jonathan Groff sing this time. Like, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> it is like, that was the big crime with the, um, with the um the first movie that Jonathan Groff's only song was like three three words basically and yeah, done, like in, a, done like in a, a silly a voice. <laughs> um, I have seen multiple people not to put anyone on blast, but if like if you said this, like a lot of straight boys who were like, "Wow, didn't know Jonathan Groff could sing," and to that I just say like, "Fuck you!" Like it's like I'm sorry. It's like like people exist before David Fincher discovers them. <laughs> like, I dropped my iPad. I, that's, <laughs> I just, that, I, I, I honestly couldn't even, I don't even know what to do with that. That's shocking to me. That's sh- what, 
Wow. You know, Imagine going through middle school and not having Spring Awakening define you, is all I have to say to that. I mean, I was in college when it came out, but like uh, that, it was the first show I saw. No, absolutely not. <laughs> that is so, and like, I'm, I'm really, the bigger thing is like, imagine never hearing of Glee, like ever. I know. It's like, my God, he was Jesse St. James. Is that he was Jesse St. James. What is happening? It's so my that is just that's erasure um wow i'm I'm stuck on it i've seen multiple people tweet that like oh who knew he could sing or like and i'm just like everyone (laughs) everyone knew he could sing that is that is erasure um wow uh anyway we have to move on because that's just too upsetting to even keep talking about um but the other contenders for uh, a best original song, one of them, one of them could very well be one that is indeed nominated for a Globe, um, which is "Beautiful Ghost" from from the the new nightmare adaptation of Cats, which well, is already actually, a... it didn't make the shortlist. That's oh, the it didn't funny. it did not. It's hysterical. Oh shit! That's Taylor Swift can stay home on Oscar night and like <laughs> Andrew Lloyd Webber is just gonna sit home crying. He's gonna do a Jackie with Camelot <laughs> playing in the background. They can put on sweatpants and watch the comfort of their home. Oh boy, Jennifer Hudson is just gonna hold her Oscar and just like stew. Um, <laughs> so cats came out. Um, yeah, cats came out. Neither she- of us. <laughs> Well, no, go ahead. What were you going to say? Because I have nothing. I can even. I don't even know where to begin with it. Oh, so let's just, let's dive into cats. Um, yeah. So, um, I went with a very big group. In the interest of full disclosure, we all had multiple drinks before watching it. So, um, and the other people in the theater that were not with us were drinking in the theater. And this is not like a fun Alamo theater. It is an AMC in suburban New Jersey. <laughs> um, um, so. I went with a big group, men, none of whom had known the musical, which is funny because, like, I definitely saw the musical when I um, was very, very young, and I hated it. But mm-hmm. like, that's besides the point. Um, and like, it's honestly, part of it. <laughs> yeah, honestly, hating it is part of it. But, um, <laughs> but so, um, and I had forgotten most of the musical by the time the movie came out. So I basically only remembered memory, which is the only thing that really matters <laughs> from the musical. But um, we watched it. And after the opening song, it, the theaters went into full hysteria. Like it was like, it is one of my favorite theater experiences in a very long time <laughs> because like at various points, people just kind of like almost as if they like lost their they're like self-control like <laughs> like what's happening and like it's like and like with a mixture of like terror and glee <laughs> like um so basically my point is cats is an objectively terrible movie like there's no denying that and i think it is a mixture of sweet and infuriating that tom hooper or hopper i always forget which one it is and i don't hooper okay i don't really care about him um <laughs> It's very funny to me that he seems so completely unaware of why people find this movie so bizarre because it's like truly someone who does not understand musicals and has now made two of them and should stop. But um, like it is just an insane film that is objectively bad but truly 
I had so much fun watching because it is just one. It is the sort of movie where you never, you never know what's going to happen, <laughs> and like whatever you think will happen is not going to happen, and whatever you think would never be seen in a major motion picture that cost oh. over, cost over a hundred million dollars to make and release, like does happen. I mean, like, like I don't. There are some things in this that I just like lost my mind at, like. um, because the problem is that there, the the musical itself, there is really no narrative. But and the narrative that there is is absurd. You know, all these cats are competing to go to heaven, so they're one of them is gonna die at the end of the night. Basically, like they're all competing to get die and go to the next life. But like the way that the the form that takes is that they're all just like American idling their way through. <laughs> through a movie so like everybody gets a big number and then sometimes they disappear in a puff of smoke at the end it's like it's fucking wild and it's so horny too it's like oh and yeah the, the original was always like that because it's a bunch of very good dancers dancing dancing the shit out of these songs and just like do you know every everybody gets a gets a number too so it's like it's a dancer showcase realistically and unfortunately, the film does not allow you to enjoy the dancing because none of the characters have any weight because they're all CGI'd hair on them. So they're all just like floating around <laughs> like, like disembodied nightmares. <laughs> like this scene when because there's um, the, 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 the it's worth noting that the studio rolled out a second version um, of the film <laughs> with better CGI because the CGI in the original cut was so bad. Um, Because they were doing it until the last minute because they had to change a lot of it after the trailer came out. And that's the whole movie, really. Um, Which you don't really notice because it still looks very bad. (laughs) Well, the only the easiest way to notice is that um, what there is one scene in the original cut where (laughs) where uh, Judi Dench's character has fur on her hands. But in every other shot, she doesn't. So there's it's like there's one there to tell you that they did something bad. But every other scene, you can see her hand clearly with a wedding ring on it <laughs> just like hanging out <laughs> so that's the easiest way to tell basically um if you can see a, a like a full human hand coming out <laughs> of a fur coat on judy dench you're getting the good cut um also the way that like i don't the way that the the collar on um jenny any dots played by rebel wilson just like moves around Un, oh, yeah. uninhibited by physics in the first shot we see her in is so disturbing that I was like <laughs> I thought I, was, I had just gotten off like a you know 13 hour plane ride from New Zealand and I was like wow I mean I know I'm tired but something's <laughs> that's on the screen right <laughs> like I, I took a I needed a second to be like oh am I hallucinating what's going on there is um, one part where she grabs something to use as a microphone and None of us had any idea what it was supposed to be, and we all just had to settle on the fact that it was like they forgot to animate something, and like yeah. it was just it was it is really bizarre. There is discussion that it's <clears throat> her tail, but it's not correct because you can see her tail moving around in the background. It's not the right. tail. I think it's a piece of yarn, but it looks like a giant dildo. It does. <laughs> it does. <laughs> I love that we didn't discuss that beforehand, but know what we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's it's funny because like there, there are moments in the film and maybe I'm alone in this but like there are moments where I find like genuinely interesting things going on like the consensus to my friend group is like 
Jason Derulo is low key the MVP of this movie. <laughs> like, I, I loved you. I mean, look at my my embarrassing posting of my you know Spotify of the decade. There was a year where Jason Derulo was my number one artist, which is I'm apologizing right now for that. <laughs> Jason Derulo get like. Who is my favorite stupid celebrity? I love him. He just whenever he does an interview, I'm like, yes, sweetie, please keep 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 talking. But yes. um, him on like, Kelly Clarkson's show is iconic. Yes, but um, like he's like doing a genuinely good British accent, and like Rum Tum Tugger is the best song in the whole thing. And I was like, and have I listened to Rum Tum Tugger multiple times oh since seeing the movie? Yes. The answer is yes. I've added it to my workout playlist. Um, oh my god. <laughs> but like it is a it is a bizarre movie. But genuinely like I saw it like a day or two after seeing Star Wars and I had a hundred times more fun watching casts than I did in Star Wars. And not because I was with a big group. Like, truly, I think if I saw it by myself, I would, which would be sad. But, like, it's like... Okay, wow, just coming from my life right now. Jesus. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I see everything by myself. It is no shade. But just, like, um, like, I would have just as much fun, I think, watching it by myself than, like... I would watching it in a big group because it is just such a bizarre movie. <laughs> I can attest to that actually. I mean, I saw it at four in the afternoon um, <laughs> on a, like, you know, the days after Christmas. Um, and like, I had gone alone because I was like, no, my, my uncle certainly doesn't want to see this. <laughs> and, like, I don't know anyone else in town who would right now. Like, I'm just going to – I'm not going to bother asking anyone because I was in L.A. for, like, 20 minutes, and I'm, like, I, I just – and I'm, like, too tired. I just need to be somewhere where I can be awake and, and like, not fall asleep so I can get used to the time change. Like, I'm just going to go see fucking cats by myself. Um, and it was kind of ha- a half-empty screening because, you know, people – show no was in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also no one, re- you know, no one wanted to see it, but I mean, there were people who came in clearly ready for, to make fun of it. Like there was this group yeah. of like guys who came in, um, like skater bros who came in, who were like, woo, <laughs> they were so excited. Good for um, them. Good for them. Yeah. They were like really happy. Um, and they hate, they obviously, you know, they made fun of it, but which is fine. It's what you want to do. Um, but I kept thinking like the thing that was fun for me was like, my audience wasn't that active because again, four in the afternoon on like a Friday or whatever. Um, but they the whole time I was like, this is what a thrill to see a genuine big budget Hollywood flop. Yeah. In this in this era, because it doesn't feel like we've gotten one of those in a very long time. Like we've gotten bad movies and things that are like, you know, disappointing, but nothing like water world level battlefield earth level shit where it's like wow they spend so much money on this and these actors believe in every second of what they're doing <laughs> and this is a disaster this is the disaster that we all thought greatest showman would be but then we all love greatest showman um but like yeah i don't know it's just it's such a like slow motion train wreck that's actually just like a high speed train wreck on coke like <laughs> Sometimes literally with that catnip thing. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> the wow. climax scene. Like, it's like Casper <laughs> yes. Noe directed cats for five minutes. <laughs> Collective orgasm scene is wild. Um, especially because, like, wow, Taylor Swift is there for that. She's the one. Um, Doing one of the most horrid British accents. <laughs> like, I love it, though. The cavity is not there. It's like... <laughs> 
I say it all. I just think like that's the thing that gets stuck in my head is the is her terrible British accent accent when she says that line over and over and over again. It's such a delight to me. Um, bless her heart. <laughs> oh, bless her in a heart. Uh, I love it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's such a joy to watch, but in in not not in any of the ways that the creators or the studio intended. And and I think that's like a thrill in a weird way as, as like a student of film and someone who watched like 620 movies last year or whatever it is. I mean, that's, that's not even an exaggeration. It's like 618 or something. Um, like what a thrill to see something that is bizarrely unlike anything I've ever seen before and hope to ever see again, because I, it just is so horrifying. Like, yeah, it's like the sort of thing I feel like we've reached this point in studio filmmaking and I've been trying to write a piece about this but it's like currently like 10 pages long so I'm like I have to edit it but I don't um, care it can be 10 pages long I'm ready for it. <laughs> um like we're at this point where studio <clears throat> filmmaking feels so incredibly like calculated and every and like rise of the skywalker or whatever it's fucking called is like i will never memorize that name um is like the worst example of this where um, it's a movie that is like so intensely calculated to to appeal to everybody and then appeals to nobody and in the better case scenarios you have a lot of marvel movies that are just like so calculated to be crowdfunded and they are but they feel so unsafe and then uh or, or like overly safe and with this movie i watch it and i'm like what was their plan? Like, who who do they think this is for? Like, and then what? Like, did they just see the final cut and say like it's beyond fixing? <laughs> Let's just like put it out into the world, and it's thrilling. Like, I'm just like, oh, like this movie makes no sense, and it costs so much money, and I love that. Like, I love I it do so too. much. <laughs> it's yeah, like it, it, no, go oh, ahead. God, no, it's on so many worst of the year lists, and I'm like, I hate worst of the year list to begin with. It is not the way you should really like think about film i think but like with this i'm like who is this hurting like except for like taylor swift's film career like it's like this (laughs) doesn't deserve to live anyway i know exactly it's like taylor just release more music we love that um we're fine with that yeah it's like it's like this movie is so well-intentioned and like I don't know. I'm just like, just let this movie exist. I don't know what Tom Hooper's deal is. I don't know if he understands what musicals are. He probably doesn't, but... I don't think he's ever seen a movie musical, honestly, other than his own. Like, based on this film, and the, well, this and Les Miserables, like, I don't think he's ever seen a movie musical or perhaps a musical ever, which is why he can't seem to fundamentally understand any of what they need or, de- or deserve to see beyond screen. And we need to stop him from making more musicals. I think at least this movie flopped. So, like, I can't imagine. I mean, white men get away with everything. But, like, it's like, I, I have to assume Hollywood would be like, no, you can direct other things, but no more musicals. Like, stop. Yeah. <laughs> I like Les Mis. It got away with it because it got Anne Hathaway that 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 Oscar. And some people actually like it still for whatever reason. Um <laughs> But yeah, I, I hope hopefully this ends his musical career because he truly is not he's not suited to the form at all. No. Um, let's move on from, you know, a delightful disaster to a, a disaster of a, that's actually deeply hateable that I haven't seen because you hated it a lot. Um, and you reviewed it for the site. Richard Jewell, um, you can talk about this as briefly as you'd like, frankly. Yeah, um, I think it's Oscar chances basically are just I mean, I hope just Kathy Bates. And it's like, um Okay. Well, I'll get back to Kathy Bates. We'll circle back. But um, yeah, this is Clint Eastwood's new movie about the um, Atlanta Olympics bombing, which 
uh, a security guard named Richard Jewell um, managed to somewhat thwart people. Still died, unfortunately, but like he saved a lot more people from dying. And um, the media sort of misreported what um, his place was. And basically, for a time, he was between the media and the FBI. He was like accused of being the bomber, and eventually, he managed to clear his name and prove that he didn't do the bombing. But um, this this film about it is so misguided and so in the classic Eastwood way, so afraid of having some sort of like genuine exploration of the themes it's being explored. It's just sort of like mad. Like it's mad at like the FBI for accusing um, uh, for accusing Richard Jewell of this, and it's mad at the media for running with a story without fact checking. But like it doesn't really ever interrogate. The systems that allow that to happen, it just sort of acts as if all these things exist in a vacuum and um, that's just not the way you can make a movie like this. And then it ends up accidentally – not accidentally. I mean like maliciously um, defaming um, the reporter who ran the story who – they use her real name. I unfortunately – I can't think of it off the top of my head. Um, But – She's played by Olivia Wilde, and unlike the FBI agents in the film, they use her um, they use her real name, and um, they basically imply that Kathy Scruggs is her name. Um, they basically imply that Kathy Scruggs slept with the FBI with FBI agents in order to get stories, and then um, continued to run with that information, even though there's no evidence to this happening obviously and even worse kathy Schwartz has passed away since this happens um so she can't even fully defend herself and her the atlanta journal constitution which is where she wrote for um has been defending her um like which is i think is good mm-hmm. but like warner brothers is completely just like it's a work of fiction what do you want and everything like that and it's yeah. um it's just it's an insane thing to sit through, and there's one really horrible scene where Richard Jewell and his lawyer, who's played by Sam Rockwell, um, <clears throat> kind of like chew her out for being a bad journalist. And Olivia Wilde, who I love but is giving a really horrible performance in this, is like basically like does like an evil laugh and like cackles of like that I can do whatever I want, and it is one of the most tone deaf scenes I have seen in any movie this year, and it just like as compellingly made as it is because Clint Eastwood, if anything, can make a compelling movie. Like, I just sit there and I wonder, like, what what is this for? And it's like, this movie is not interested in actually solving a social problem or, solve, or, or like, writing anyone's, like, um, wrongdoings or anything. It's just, like, it's just mad and it's silly and devoid of a point of view. And I'm happy it... it Underperformed at the box office, which is nice because I had visions of this being like an American sniper situation of just like making so much money, or even like a Sully situation where it made like good good amount of money, and um, or the Mule, like Clint has a really good box office track record. So like, I'm happy that this one has been like an a rare underperformance for him because I just don't want people to see it. And um, yeah, and then even more, it's like Kathy Bates seems to be the only real chance at an Oscar nomination. She plays Richard Jewell's mom, who gets like um thrown out in front of the media to kind of try to like defend his name and there's one scene that is clearly like an oscar clip moment and i think it's a shame that kathy bates who is a very talented (laughs) actor has fallen into this rut in the past 10 years of just working with a lot of people 
who don't who are not interested in writing her parts mm-hmm. um like i watch every ryan murphy property so i'm not like like I'm not innocent of this, but like Ryan Murphy has used her horribly over the past few years. Like it's like, it's always embarrassing roles he gives her. And then, um, here she's just, it's just like, she's like the, the, she's basically the concerned wife role, but it's the concerned mom role where she sits by a phone and cries a lot. And it's like such a waste of her talents. And then, um, ironically, the same day I watched Richard Jewell, I also watched, um, Xavier Dolan's, uh, the Life and Death of John F. Donovan, which um, was ripped apart by critics and is not a good movie, so I don't, I won't justify that. But like, she's in that film as um, in a smaller part as like a talent agent, and she's like genuinely great in it for that for that small part. And it's like, it was just nice to see someone actually use her in a in a role because this, even if she gets nominated, is such a waste of a nomination. And it's like. I don't know. She deserves so much better. No one saw this movie anyway, but continue to skip it. It's it's not worth your time. Is basically my, I was just sitting in the theater, very angry the whole time. Yeah, <clears throat> I was gonna put in the work and you know see it just because, but your review was so negative and like it seemed like such a genuinely unpleasant time that I was like, I don't, I don't need this. And and honestly, by the time I came back to the states, it was like gone. And and then it did show up as I was leaving, which was bizarre. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but I was like, I don't need to see it. Like, it's not good. I don't have the time. I just, I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to bother. Like, what, you know, you got to, I got to protect myself at this point. I've seen 618 movies this year. I need to just, like, stop it. Somebody, like, you know, trank me before I walk into the theater again. Um, <laughs> I think the, um, the Olivia Wilde of it all is really just so heinous, I think. And um, I, I hate the way they've defended themselves even Olivia Wilde who I love and I want to mm. like have like the like I I like I ha- I want to have like the best of faith in her intentions and everything but like sh- even her statement about like people are uncomfortable with women exhibiting sexuality and I'm like that's not quite what they're uncomfortable with this role and everything like it's like yeah. it's a real person I don't know I find I and like John Hamm plays a horrible fbi agent she's sleeping with who's a fake person like it's like what like what what is this film's intentions i i it's a gross movie and eastwood has so many very passionate defenders who like act as if he's some sort of like last remaining american auteur and i'm just like all right like i i love a good hot take but like this is not a good hot take it's like for every one good movie he's done in the past 10 years there's like three that are just truly exhibiting horrible morals i think so i'm just like let's let's leave it in the past yeah you know it's interesting the mule was better than i expected honestly um because when when it when i first heard about it i was like oh it's gonna be bad it's gonna be so bad um but then it actually ended up being okay um but so i was kind of hoping this would look better than it actually was and then it turned out to be you know as heinous as everybody expected so i don't know um excuse me um, let's move on from it though, because we both hate it anyway. So, uh, let's talk about um, a movie we both loved that I really wish would get had gotten some Oscar push or mm. more of a theater release because it absolutely deserves it. Um, and Jonathan Price uh, is nominated for it at the Golden Globes, but uh, you know who knows if that'll translate to Oscar, which is uh, Netflix's The Two Popes, which is a delightful surprise um, in terms of its filmmaking and its acting. Um, it's um, 
uh, a true-ish story about, well, I mean, it's true, but who knows if, like, every moment of it is accurate. Yeah. Um, of the two popes that we currently have, <laughs> technically, um, Benedict and, um, oh, I've forgotten the other one. Um, I used to be more interested in the Catholic Church because I went to Catholic school, but now I'm not. <laughs> um, it's been a while. But the, anyway, the, the, the pope that abdicated and the pope that uh, followed up. Um, <clears throat> Who smacked a woman's hand away the other day? Um, <laughs> Interesting viral marketing for the film. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> interesting viral marketing move. I mean, she ratcheted him pretty hard. I I see why he freaked out. Um, uh, and about sort of a their ideological difference about where the direction of the church should go, and then it's just basically a two hander of two people talking about their ideological differences and their histories and their you know, how the sort of transition from one Pope to another happens. Um, and just, I don't know, it's just a pleasant bit of filmmaking that is also really interestingly, I don't know, edited and presenting in its story. What what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I, I really <clears throat> was not expecting to have any reaction to this movie. I basically watched it one day because I was like, like off from work and I was like, let me just like get out of the way, like all the, Oscar intended screaming that I don't I'm streaming that I don't really care about and then like it's like it was very good it's very compelling um you know as a person who was raised Catholic and has fallen away from the Catholic Church of it all um it's it's hard to watch a movie about the Catholic Church that is so um uh, what's the word I want to I want to use like generally positive yeah, it's like, you know, it's very uh, – a cynical part of me wants to watch it and find and uh, find it funny that it's so much about, like, this idea of, like, oh, like, we have to make the church more progressive. And mm-hmm. it's like – it has become more progressive, but, like, the yeah, bar is so low. Cool. Yeah, where it's like, okay, like, I don't know if I necessarily want to, like, celebrate how – like, like – the progressiveness of the church now when it's still such a, it's such a small leap forward in progressiveness compared to the rest of the world. But, um, at the same time, like the movie's not really making excuses for the church. I don't think it's necessarily trying to say that like, um, the Catholic church is now like a perfect institution or something like that. And, um, it's like it's very well written. the t- The two performances are great. I think Jonathan Jonathan Price is probably my favorite leading male performance of the year. Maybe like second to Antonio Banderas. I think it's like this has been a weak year for best leading actor. I think, but like, yeah. um, he's excellent in it. And I think I think it's a shame that he's not getting um any real shot at best actor. It seems. I mean, maybe he'll show up, but I doubt it. Um. Yeah, I was glad to see he got the Globe nom, but like, I don't, I, I don't even think it's gonna uh, translate into an Oscar nomination, unfortunately. Yeah, it's just it seems such a quiet movie, and then um, Anthony Hopkins is great too, and like, there's like, really like like this is gonna sound so um, like such like immature criticism, but like they were like those cute moments of them like you know I, like every time Anthony Hopkins talked about his Fitbit, I had like such a good laugh because I just thought it was like weirdly adorable and everything. And <laughs> um, it's probably like a true thing. You know what I mean? Right. Like, where they, where it's like, you should get up and walk around. <laughs> it's like, it's weirdly very sweet. And then the conversations about their faith are interesting. And as someone who like still considers himself religious, but just not Catholic, I like the general um, conversations about 
religion and spirituality and everything. I um I I I've seen a lot of people shit on the um the flashback sequence, but I loved it. Like I love the um the black and white cinematography. I found the story compelling. I didn't know that story. I don't really know anything about the Pope. So like it was like it was an interesting story, I thought. And I um I really admired the movie. I, I was very impressed with how much I enjoyed it in the end. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm I mean, I, I like all that. I liked all the flashback stuff. I mean, I think it's just really cleverly set up. Like, realistically, a movie about fucking popes uh, that's really just two people <clears throat> should literally be the most boring thing in the world to me. I, I like It should have been like the Irishman part duh, like where I'm just sitting like, when will God take me from this, this sweet earth? <laughs> like, I, I need to, I can't, I can't do this. Um, but it's, I don't know, it's just really... It, 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 the way it, it's edited to like so snappy um, and like constantly, I don't know, showing it, showing the two actors in their best light at all time, I suppose, and allowing them to just really dig into these characters and like having all this contrast with the history stuff. The, the past history stuff is really interesting in a way that like, I don't know, you know, when the person becomes Pope, usually you're just like, okay, there's an, there's the new Pope or whatever. Cool. Like wh- who cares? <laughs> like if you're, <laughs> if you're not a Catholic or you don't aren't practicing anymore, you're just like, all right, I mean, great, I guess. And then like, you sort of wait to see how their, their policies work out. Um, but this sort of like goes into his policies and why, why he became, you know, the quote unquote progressive, Pope that, you know, many see him as. Mm-hmm. Um, and then realistically he is historically. So um, I'll give him that much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like for, for what its institution is, it is very progressive. Basically. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, it's a wonderful film. Check it out. Like it's, it's funny. I was talking about it with some friends and they were like, you know, we've been watching the Irishman with our family and they're like watching it in like little drips and drabs because we're just so bored by it. But the two popes, they were like, they just watched all the way through way through because they couldn't turn it off. It was just so compelling. And I was yeah, like, my parents mm-hmm. did yeah, the same thing where they watched like all the Netflix movies um, over like the holiday. And they were just like, they're like, marriage story is good. Two popes, though. Phenomenal. And, <laughs> and like they love them popes. Yeah. We love popes. <laughs> this Protestant country loves popes. Um, all right, let's talk about something a little more uh, edgy, I suppose. Uh, Uncut Gems, uh, the new Safdie Brothers film. Um, y- you love Good Time, and uh, you like this not quite as much, I think, right? But still li- uh, like it a lot? Yeah, I really want to see it again. I'm trying to get someone to go with me. Um but like, even though I might just see it by myself, if like I um, can't get anybody to to take the bullet. But um, yeah, um, I I do admire it a lot, and I I love the memes, which is helping me <laughs> like making me want to see it even more. <laughs> <coughs> um, it's basically just a quick summary, I suppose. Uh, uh, stars Adam Sandler. It's technically a um, uh, a period piece because uh, it takes place in. Is it 2013? I don't remember off the top of my head, but yeah. um, it's it's mid Obama yeah. era, basically um, uh, presidency. Um, but yeah, it's takes place in New York. He's a <clears throat> excuse me, a um, uh, a jewel like a, he works in the jewelry di- district. 
he is, uh, an, you know, an unstoppable sort of gambler, gambler who's going to run his family in the ground if he's not care- uh, careful. Um, and it's just sort of about him uh, trying to make enough money to not get the shit beat out of him by his, his bookies, essentially, <laughs> if you will. Um, and it's a, you know, it's Safety Brothers thing where it's a very stressful to watch. Um, but I don't know. I found it less stressful or at least like, le- I don't know. Not stressful. I mean, I know that's a big part of it for people watching it, but I don't know. Having seen one of their films before <laughs> and seeing the way that their filmmaking works, this felt almost predictable to me in a lot of ways. Although I did thought it, thought think it was going to end a bit earlier. Um, but once it didn't end at the place I thought it would, I was like, oh, it'll end the way it does, essentially. In, in a very, well, in, in its basics. Um the ending is is I think incredible. Like mm. I'm I'm somewhat lukewarm on the movie as a as a whole, but that ending really hit me, and I was like, shit, like they're going to be interesting filmmakers. I think. Yeah. No, I think it's an interesting film, regardless whether it works or what you know, totally, or whether you find it predictable or whatever. Um, and Sandler is very good in it. It's hard to deny that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think their patterns are getting a little, are, are just feel a little too entrenched for me. Um, so I hope they do something even, more, you know, do something a little different next time. But yeah, it's really good. You know, uh, Kevin Garnett is good in it. Um, and Adam Sandler's great in it. And uh, so is um, Julie Fox is fantastic. I mean, what a debut, realistically. So it's not good. her debut anything, but she, it's her breakout, let's say. Yeah, I. she's someone who, when she's introduced in the movie, I was kind of like, apprehensive in the way I always get whenever there are two straight men or one straight man directing a movie about like a, a woman um, where like, a, like um, I was like, where is this character going to go? Is this going to be some sort of like really weird, like sexist caricature or whatever? Mm-hmm. The last act, her acting in that. And when you see like the, all the cards go on the table of like what her character is about is mm-hmm. thrilling. And she's, it, she's really good in that in that role, I think. And I'm very happy that like the internet's in love with her because I'm just like, good, put her in everything. Like I, I'm so interested in where she goes from here. Yeah. You, no, I mean, 100% endorsed, <laughs> like full agreement. <laughs> and I will say she has a small part and she hasn't been doing too much promotion in it, but I kind of love Adina Menzel in this. <laughs> like... Oh yeah. She's wonderful in this. <laughs> I mean, when she's in that dumb, her like, it's not a prom dress. Is it? No, it's her like, it's her butt. I think it's her butt mitzvah dress. Yeah. As you say, it's her butt mitzvah dress is so funny. Like I don't, she's really good in it. And I don't know. Justice for she a double is... Z again. Oh yes. Yes. She has one scene where she has to, um, like go out into a parking lot in like high heels and she's like clearly does not want to do it and she like kind of like quickly run and it is so funny to me like her physical acting that in that one quick minute because she doesn't have to run like that but she knows who her character is and she's like she would run like this you know yeah she's so good i was like god like whatever her oscar for into the unknown should also be for uncut gems like (laughs) they should just throw it in there (laughs) I love it. <laughs> like, uh, facts are facts, America. They <laughs> should have let her do that. an original song for Uncut Gems. That's what that's what was missing from the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Into the unknown. You could actually just use again. Yeah. <laughs> and I will just say, um, this movie has been doing really well at the box office. Like, yeah. there's a good shot at it becoming A24's highest grossing film to date, which I think is 
very cool because like I never would have thought the Safety brothers would be able to pull off something that isn't necessarily mainstream. Like the, it had a, had like a C plus cinema score, but um, well, yeah, I mean it's deliberately abrasive because that's what their films are. And but people seem to be enjoying that for whatever reason. Yeah, and I'm just like, good, like let them get bigger and bigger because I'm very excited to see what th- what they do as they become more. Pro- they're like they're one of the more exciting discoveries I think that A24 has made so far. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I'm it, like I liked this better than Good Time because I didn't really lo- love Good Time a lot. Um, although I do think that credit sequence is like one of the best things I've seen in a film. Yeah, in, in the last decade, um, they're like weirdly empathetic filmmakers, which I find for for films that are so like abrasive and like angry. There's like a real sense of like heart to yeah. them deep down, which I find very interesting. Yeah, no, I think you're completely right about that. Um, it's interesting because yeah, they they they're softies at heart, but they do sort of put up a lot of guard, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> um, but let's talk about. The film that really we've all been waiting for, or at least you and I have been waiting for, and that we have both loved deeply. And I've seen twice. You've seen twice, yes? I've only seen it once. I was supposed to go today, but I have a terrible cold, as you can probably tell listeners. So I'm yeah. going to go in about a week. <laughs> you sound better for 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 considering you you basically made your house sound like a like a you know a, a tuberculosis ward. Um, Lucy, <laughs> I thought you were going to come on and be like, no. I was like, oh my god, we can't do this. Um, <laughs> little Women. Uh, which I saw again last night in 35 millimeter. Um, yes, I am bragging about it. But l- why don't you talk about Little Women? Because you know you, you're you're a Little Women stan. I am only you know I'm only partially a stan because I I don't know as much about it as you and haven't I don't think seen as many um, adaptations. Yeah, um, I I loved the book for a very long time. I read it, I read it when I was like a kid because it's a very good book to read when you're like a kid who wants to like read the classics but like also is a still a child <laughs> so like it's a really good like entry-level book into like classic american literature and then um i read it again as an adult and it's a really lovely book just you know i mean like the plot is in a part of american pop culture but you know four sisters growing up during the civil war um and just like figuring about figuring out about life and love and all that stuff um when Greta Gerwig announced she was doing the film, I was so excited because um, I was part of the Lady Bird Hive. I still am. And, um, <laughs> like, I was just like, okay, cool. Like, this will be a very interesting next step for Greta Gerwig's career. I'm happy she's getting, like, a big-budget film. But I didn't expect – like, I would have been happy with just a conventional um, – retelling of Little Woman through Greta Gerwig's voice because I think she's a very talented writer. But I'm so happy that, like, the film is such an interesting remix almost of the novel, both in that, like, instead of being told in a linear fashion, it cuts back and forth between them as children and them as um, adults or, like, some young adults. And, um, <clears throat> and then on top of that, like, she manages to connect the story with like our modern sensibilities in a way that is really, really interesting. I think like it's not quite like Baz Luhrmann level. Like there's no like pop music playing in the background, even though I would have fucking lost my mind um, if that happened. (laughs) But like instead, like she finds interesting parallels in the performances and like the central themes with what, how we view similar things today. And like, you know, Saoirse Ronan and Timothy Chalamet, 
who played Joe um, and Laurie, the, like the main will they won't they couple of the film essentially. <laughs> um, like I think their performances are really really clever in the way they're directed because like there's just like a heartthrob factor to them both, and like it just feels like the in a weird way like like the the teen stars of today being put into like the, the definitive teen roles of literature basically and their big scene where they dance outside the house um that's in all the trailers feels so modern but like is also period appropriate in a way and then the way greta addresses amy's subplot about um which has always been like the most controversial part of the book people really hate amy (laughs) um like the way um oh i'm sorry i think i'm confusing this florence florence Pugh is um is she Amy or? Yeah, she's Amy. Yeah. Okay, good. I was like, I was like, what's Emma Watson's name? Um, but Meg. Uh, Meg. Okay, yes. Um, Amy is um, like. I was just starting to get confused. I was like, did I did I black out? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. Um, Amy is like the most um, controversial character, and then the way Greta Gerwig re- not rewrites Amy's character, but recontextualizes her. Yeah, and it, like is so thrilling and works so well with what Florence Pugh is doing um, in the performance. She's, she's incredible. And, um, you know, it just, I think she helps make the book understandable for a modern audience, for a modern audience in a way that I had read the book again, like twice. And I've seen like the 1930s film and the 1994 film. And it feels like a new version of the story in a way, even though for the most part, the plot details are the exact same. And I think that's incredible. I think it confirms that Greta Gerwig is going to be one of like our major filmmaking talents, and it's it's, it's very exciting. I and it's also just like a very nice movie. It's a very warm movie, and I, I just love it so much. It's like, it's like a good like winter movie. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. I mean, <clears throat> I saw it after Christmas because it didn't come. It wasn't going to come out in New Zealand until January when I was going to be gone. So I had to, you know, wait a couple days, and I was like, <laughs> like those last two days, I was like dying to see it and it was i double featured it with cats actually um and uh you know it was filled with like little girls and stuff and women that screening and it was just like it it really does feel like she like took a a myth that has existed for you know a hundred plus 150 years now or whatever um and that has been adapted like half a dozen times i mean there's there's like a the Alamo has this thing where they, you know, they, they do like a little pre-show thing and they showed a clip from one I hadn't seen. And I thought I'd seen all of, or, you know, all of the older ones at this point, but I think there's one from the forties or something that I hadn't seen. Um, and like makes it, you're right. Absolutely makes it feel relevant. And even though, I mean, it, it is relevant is the thing, but she makes it feel revitalized for a new generation and made me want to re- read the book in a way that like none of the other um, adaptations I've seen quite has because mm. it just felt like <clears throat> a piece of history or whatever. But now it, I don't know, it just felt, uh, and there, she does update certain things sort of, but really it doesn't really happen until the ending. It's just the way she's reemphasizing certain things. Like I think the other adaptations um, sort of uh, foreground Joe's writing a little more before the book burning by Amy to make Amy seem, you know, yeah hard to forgive and like i mean i remember the first one that i watched which i think was the 94 version i was just i I gasped when she did that i was like oh that's brutal but like in this one i was like i mean i don't know it's probably not very good anyway (laughs) (laughs) 
I was it's like, fine. yeah, Amy's probably right to do it. You know, who whomst among us have, has not go, gone back and looked at old writing from like childhood or whatever that you thought was great and been like, oh, God, burn this. Um, so like Amy did her a favor. <laughs> but like, yeah, the, all, the I think it's a revelation to have Florence Pugh play the character the whole time because what happens in the 94 version it's little kirsten dunst and then another actress who's i'm sorry whose name i can't remember at the moment um because it's not one of like you know it's <laughs> that cast is so stacked that it was like <laughs> only a minor tv star that i just don't even care anymore oh it's samantha mathis sorry <laughs> sorry samantha if you're listening <laughs> sorry to this woman um <laughs> like uh and it's it's interesting to have the same actress play that character and it actually works because the way she plays the sort of childish nature of Amy in in the early scenes is totally I buy it. Like she seems like a little girl. And the way she she changes the timbre of her voice too is fascinating. She she ups it's it a little incredible. bit. Incredible. Yeah. Like it's those bangs do wonders for like making her look 10 years younger. Like it's absolutely. it's insane. Like I I remember when they announced that it was gonna be the same four actresses in both um time periods i was like how is anyone gonna pull that off and then it's perfect it's it's a perfect like i totally bought it every every time yeah yeah and honestly i think i mean i think you were a little colder on her than i was but like i was impressed by emma watson because she's i think unfortunately time has revealed that she's not a great actress she's a serviceable actress at you know um but definitely needs like a good director to help her along which is why I think even though Bling Ring is sort of messy, she's very delightful in it. She's <laughs> so good in Bling Ring. So I, good. I love that <laughs> performance. Um, but she should only work with women is all I decided after watching this. I was like, only female directors, that's it. Um, but it's fascinating. There's this uh, – because you're right. Like all of the inner text playing into all of this of like these are all women who are little actresses who were – we either have a long relationship with like Laura Dern or Emma Watson. And even at this point, Saoirse Ronan. Um, and like Florence Pugh feels like she's on the come up in the way that like Amy is becoming, you know, it goes mm-hmm. transforms from some, some little girl to like someone we have to pay attention to um, uh, like a full adult woman um, is, I don't know. It's just, it's just fascinating. Like, but the w- way that the, the inner text of Emma Watson in that role is really interesting. Like, cause originally I guess Emma Stone was going to be in that role, but then there was a scheduling conflict or something and she had to yeah. skip out of it. Well, I mean, it's, cosmic- even though I think, at- so just go, go ahead. ahead. No, you go ahead. It's fine. Oh, it's like a cosmic balance though. Cause uh, <laughs> Emma Watson was supposed to be in La La Land and then, <laughs> and then Emma Stone became in La La Land. But I don't know. There's something like watching her in the, the debutante ball scene where, she's basically playing this role of a rich woman because that's she wants to be a beautiful girl with beautiful things and money and be in society. Um, and sort of the way that, that recalls, even in the way the dress looks that similar scene in Harry Potter, when Hermione is like beautiful for the first time. And then Ron is a shithead towards her and the way that Laurie is a shithead towards her in this, like, I don't know. That was just like so fascinating. It's like, because time is collapsing in the movie at that moment, but it was also collapsing in real life. I was like, man, what a crazy thing to watch her play it again and play it very, very well. And then for then to then smash cut to, you know, the present day Meg who is living in poverty because she chose love is like, I don't know, just such a fascinating uh, thing to see. 
like in the way that it plays in the film, in the way that it resonates in real life, in in everything. And like the you know, the, a lot has been made of the um the narrative structure jumping back and forth and the way it like takes different things or emphasizes different things and and presents the story in a whole new way. But like that for me is some of some, what they do, what she does with the Meg stuff and the way it contrasts uh, throughout is so fascinating. And like some of the most surprising stuff, like what happens with um, Beth then smash cutting essentially to like (laughs) Meg's wedding is so fascinating. Mm -hmm. Oh God. Oh my God. I'm going to (laughs) cry on Mike. (laughs) I'm surprised that hasn't happened yet. Um, But um no, my my thing with Emma Watson, um, just just to go back, the yeah. the Emma, Emma Stone dropping dropping out is funny because I think like they're like they're essentially swapping roles, La La Land and um, Little Women. I think the right actress got both parts because I think actually, Stone, yeah, would have been really miscast if she was playing Meg. Um, but and also I think she's just too old to like I believably play both time periods, mm-hmm. but. Um, Regardless of that, like my big issue with Emma Watson in this film, which is not really a big issue, is um, the same thing I have with her in, in Perks of Being a Wallflower, which mm-hmm. is a movie I also love um, in a very different way. But um, like in that, her American accent is like the elephant in the room of like the way my friends and I described it, like which I thought uh, my friend had this observation, and I think it's spot on. It's like. In the bling ring, she's able to really effectively do the accent because she's doing another type of accent. Like she's doing a valley girl type accent mm-hmm. in a really over-the-top way. Yeah. Here, where she's just trying to lose the British accent, it sounds like she's like a Siri voice. Like there's no like emotion to it. It is just like very much like a flat voice and it's very distracting at points. And um beyond that also though, I just think I think she's genuinely fine. Like she's it's not a bad performance by any means. Um I think just the bigger thing is like she has as like a de facto result of the screenplay like the less interesting subplot. So it's very, very hard for an actress to make that as compelling as the other three arcs the girls have to go through. Yeah. So it's just like, it, she's fine though. Like it's like all jokes aside about the accent, like it's not a bad performance. And um, also the debutante scene is wonderful. And like the, the shot of her on the couch in the pink dress is like hanging in the Louvre basically. <laughs> it's, it's iconic of like, wow. Like, you know, as a little actress or whatever, which Meg is uh, constantly, you know, sort of coded as being, it's like she knew she knew she looked fabulous doing yes. that. <laughs> <laughs> like she knew how she looked and was like, I-, I love it. I think it's such a f- and that the cut to it, too, is so funny. Like, yes, I don't know, it's just such a fun moment. And you're completely right about the accent that like her vowel sounds are really fascinating sometimes. But like there's one scene where she has to cry like. And it's like you can feel the British accent like slipping out through yeah. like, the, and I'm like, oh, girl, stop! Like it's yeah. like, yeah. And uh, she's very good in that scene. Like her face has to, her facial expressions have to make up for all that, and it, and they absolutely do. But yeah, like she gets a huge laugh in that first scene when, um, when her hair gets burned off. Like that's yeah. a good moment, and it establishes how young the girls are. And like, you know, she's doing a lot of uh, workman like, like workhorse kind of work. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. um, it's good. Like it's she. They're all really good. It's. I think you mentioned this in your review on Letterbox. Like, 
the Beth subplot is obviously sad in every incarnation or anything, but like this is the first time it feels like tragic on any level. When Eliza Eliza Scanlon scene, and I I loved her in Sharp Objects, which everyone should watch. Um, like when she comes home from the house where she was the only one who brought the food that time, her like look of terror is yep. so, I was like instantly like, I'm like, I'm going to be crying this whole movie. Like, it's like, this is what this is going to be. It is such a good beat of acting. And yeah. the way Cause, the, cause yeah. you're like, she's something's different now and she might not understand it yet or, and, but we know what's coming, you know? Yeah. It's terrifying. It's like, it's so upsetting. And then her acting, <clears throat> throughout like be, with the, with the help of the editing which is so good mm-hmm. of like her arc of accepting her fate is very powerful and her scene with joe on the beach is very effective and just like it like it's it's such a well done version of a story that like is a punchline on friends basically like it's like like everybody knows how beth's story ends and mm-hmm. it's really well done yeah, no, it's brilliant. I mean, uh, yeah, it's it's brilliant. I, I was sitting these, next to these two little girls uh, the first time I saw it who were like – they came with like a group of six people. It was, you know, little girls and their moms and stuff. And the they were genuinely sh- shocked and upset. <laughs> like, Yeah, and, it's very upsetting. Yeah, and they were kind of like moving around a lot at the beginning. But then as time went on, they just sort of like, you know, really were engrossed by the film. And I think it's really exciting for like little girls to watch it. Um, I, I don't know. Do you want to talk about – I don't want to spoil it, I suppose, or talk about the ending or whatever, but like, I don't know. There's, there's two essays that I think have really been formative in my, the way I looked at it. Um, one is a queer reading of it essentially, um, that you and I both read that I, I don't know, like usually I probably, it's just very well written. It's from, it's from Buzzfeed. It's, it's by Shannon Keating. Um, uh, do you want to talk about it a little, little bit or just talk about the ending or what, whatever you want to talk about, basically? Yeah, I think – okay, I think we can talk around the spoiler aspect of it, even though, again, like it's like – like this book is hard to spoil because it is how old. But um, we can talk around it because I do think what Greta Gerwig is doing to change the ending ever so slightly is interesting. But um, the way Joe's arc in the book ends – which is informed by the fact that the book was published as like a serial essentially. And mm-hmm. people were very upset that she does not end up with um, Lori, which is in the trailer. I'm not spoiling anything. Um, like the ending is um, the ending feels like a, almost like a studio note or like a note from the audience of like, we want this to end this way. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not a ruiner for the book. The book's still wonderful, but like it always has seemed off and I think Greta Gerwig fixes that in a way that is so clever and it tips a hat to um, what Louisa May Alcott must have gone through with getting audience feedback and everything that I think is very clever. And on top of that, with the queer reading of the film, which is basically, you know, going through an English program for college and getting a bachelor's in English and everything, like – a lot of the times you'll have people make arguments about like queer readings of classic literature. And there are a lot of very valid queer arguments that I've definitely made about um, older books. But a lot of the times it is us projecting our modern sense of idea of queerness into a book from an era where queerness was just coded differently. So it's like, like I'm always a bit hesitant when it comes to queer readings of classic books and little moments where I never really quite bought the queer narrative, but I think 
this movie helped me change my mind with it. Not that the movie makes Joe a queer character by by like explicitly a queer character, but you can see, you can see that here in a way that I never did before. And then reading Shannon Keating's essay and uh, Shannon Keating is a wonderful writer for anybody who likes reading queer, queer essays. Um, like has made me change the way I view the book. And it's one of the most compelling arguments I've ever read for why there is a queer reading of little woman. And it made the ending, made me appreciate the ending because the ending is jarring, especially if you know the book and how it ends, or if you've seen any of the other versions, but it makes the end. Like as I've sat with it more, I've accepted the ending a lot more. And I think when I see it a second time, I'll fully appreciate it in a way that makes me love the movie even more. Yeah, no, I mean, that that's exactly the journey I went on. Well, close to it. But like, I found the I don't know, for me, the originally the ending felt um, like, like the film was trying to have it both ways when when I, I just didn't I didn't, like, I don't know, it just felt like a cop out or something or like too. Mm-hmm. it just felt too twee, maybe I don't know, it, it, I, something about it didn't work for me. But watching it the second time and after after reading that, I I don't know. It's like I'm I'm fine with the sort of lady and the tiger of it all, if you will. <laughs> um, and like, uh, it modernizes it, but perhaps not in a bad way necessarily, because I think all of that is inherent in the Joe character and and what Gerwig is asking, using her to ask, like, you know, can you be an artist and and also not compromise who you are and all all the all the things economic and and social that would make a, a woman working especially in that time period so difficult um the other uh essay that i read that i that sort of that i read before i saw the film um which really made me th- i don't know perhaps um made me look at the film in a or directed not directed my reaction but like was helpful to like have before uh, watching it, I suppose, because as someone who has never read the book and like, hasn't um, seen, you know, hasn't done as much work on it as like for instance, you have um, was uh, in the New Yorker. It's called little women and the Mormy problem by Sarah Blackwood. Did you read that? I did not know. Yeah. So it's basically, I mean, it's sort of a negative take on the film, but I, I don't, I don't know if I agree with it, but I do just think it's an interesting bit of like, um, writing about it. Um, but it's essentially like the, the thing about the movie, the thing that made me so emotional watching the movie is that becoming Marmy is sort of the end point for all of these girls in some way that like, that's the thing they fear in some ways becoming their mother. Um, a woman who is obviously is probably was as brilliant as Joe was or one of, you know, some of these, uh, probably in some way a combination of all these girls as a young Mm -hmm. woman. And then as she says in the film, she's angry every day because possibly because she's unable to do anything with that life. You know, the most she can do is become um, a sort of local nurse essentially, or whatever you want to call it. Um, And something is unfulfilled about her life. And all of that is directed into her, her daughters who she's made into like interesting, wonderful young women. But like this is, but she's the, that the, the end point of all of their, for, for so many women at that time was just to become a mother and feel unfulfilled in any any other way. And like just the frustration that would bring. And I think the film plays with that, with the Meg character very well in the, in, in Gerwig's version. And that like this girl who wanted so much, from her future life 
just doesn't just doesn't get it and sort of mm. ends up living a life of poverty that is even more even more harder than than the one she grew up with um but i think the film like the interesting thing about and why i i think partially why the original ending didn't work or the ending didn't work for me originally was that there was so much tragedy in what what she's writing essentially uh alcott um and which like the the new yorker essay sort of emphasizes of like these girls will live lives that are unfulfilled that won't that won't allow them to express express all the potential of their childhood in adult life like amy becomes a very good painter but she never can really she does have to sort of make a choice and always has had to make a choice about like you know can she go the way of joe and just like become fully realized in her career or does she get married i mean she mm -hmm. she is she emphasizes that in a way that, you know, her and Joe are two sides of the same coin, really. Um, and, like, Meg can't be the society woman she wants to be. And 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 maybe that's – and the, the film doesn't view that as a silly desire, realistically, in a way that so many things do. Um, like, all of this potential just goes un, unfulfilled in a way. And it's – there's like inherent tragedy in that because it's what historically these women would have experienced. Um, and like, that's what makes the Beth thing so emotional is that she is the, the answer to like, or she's the worst case scenario of like, where does the, the, the beauty of these, of young women and their hope and their, and their joy and like all that potential go if mm -hmm. in a, in a system that doesn't allow them to do anything or in a, in a, in a fate that just, you know, keeps that from being fulfilled in any way that would be long lasting, meaningful. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. It's, um, you know, I think the movie really, uh, maybe the 94 version does this a little bit too, but like this movie feels like the first time it really ever reckons with like the seriousness of these characters and their, and their fates. It's not necessarily, like, I think, um, a lot of the other versions of this film, and the way it's taught usually almost romanticizes their era in like a way that we tend to do with the past of yes. like life was simpler then. And this movie really <laughs> reckons with the idea of like, not really like, like these women were all stuck essentially. And yeah, the Laura Dern's big scene. And I, I would like to talk about Laura Dern's performance in a little bit. Um, like her speech about how she's mad all the time is in the book, but, yeah. and I think, I don't remember if it's in the other versions of um the No, films. it's not. Uh, th it's it's in that Marmy problem article is that there there it's maybe mentioned at one point um in like a TV version but never in the film versions. Yeah, it is. The what a beautiful moment and what an, an important scene that made me like tear up in the theater and I think Laura Dern plays it so well because I remember when they announced Laura Dern's cast and I was like, "Oh great, like she'll be really great at projecting that like maternal energy that like susan sarandon did a really nice job with back in 94 yeah. but like she brings so much more nuance to this and there's such like a that that the line reading of how she's mad at him is so good and i yeah. just like you know i really it's it resonates in a way that i think similar to a lot of the other best things about this movie feels so important now and everything and i i just love that touch yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it's the first one to really sort of question that idea of like, for so long, women's only 
uh, outlet for happiness and fulfillment was was family life and like and most of the t- and in every other adaptation it's like that's totally fine women can just be happy being mothers but like yes marmy's a wonderful mother and like and is very happy to have these girls but there's also that that gnawing knowledge there with that line that something else is there and that th- maybe she had other hopes and dreams it's a, it's a beautiful moment and i will just say <clears throat> we're going to talk about marriage story in our next yeah. episode um with, with like the last few oscar movies we haven't seen yet um mar- like she laura Dern's probably the best supporting actress this year it seems like she's sort of like the unstoppable front runner and um she's very she's good in marriage story but it's very funny to me that she's generating so much love for that film where i think as i've sat with marriage story a lot more in like the months since i've seen it um and having read a lot of essays about it my biggest problem with the film and i think a lot of people's problem with the film and the way they're that the gender balance to present it in the movie comes from laura dern's character mm-hmm. and on top of that just as a performance it's like it's very good, but it's just a version of what she's done on Big Little Lies for two years now um, of like the, you know, like the meme Laura Dern yelling and like wearing power suits and everything, which is great. And I love that. And I think that's wonderful. And she is very funny in Marriage Story and it's a good performance. Her performance here, though, partially because of the writing is so much more nuanced, though, and interesting. And it is a shame that she's not getting the buzz for this movie because I think it's such a more interesting level, like layer of performance, but I'm not going to complain about Lauren or getting an Oscar. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I, I, I mean, you know, fully endorsed once again. And also um, better get nominated. That's all I'm going to say. Florence yeah. Pugh is so good in this movie. She's, I mean, we all know I'm part of the Pugh hive. I've been trying <laughs> to lead that. I've been trying to lead that, that fan club for months now. Um, Yeah. Uh, I think we should probably wrap it up because we're we're running quite long. Um, but there was a lot to go through. Uh, well, yeah, like you said, next time we'll talk about Marriage Story and probably Les Misérables, the the French um <laughs> the French foreign film nominee or um submission, not not the Tom Hooper film. Um, <laughs> I'm, there'll also be um there'll be Clemency, which I'm seeing tomorrow, and I'm very excited for, and yes. um, oh, a- and a Hidden Life, which I'm seeing today. Ooh, yes, I'm excited to talk about that. And um, 1917, which is um, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm low-key excited for. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm very interested in that film. I, purely as cinematography. I mean, maybe Deacons will win a second one. Um, yeah, uh, but for now, um, I'll, I'll have a, a, a review of Les Miserables coming out soon. Um, do you have anything coming up? Um, not anything yes but i'm sure i'll be i i just stepped down from the tv editorial role um for this site and i am i i'm just looking forward to just focusing on podcasting for a little bit but our new season of and the winner still is is starting hopefully next week but, but around the time that um this gets gets out there so get excited yeah, maybe who knows maybe we'll just wait until after the oscars i don't know <laughs> we have to talk about this <laughs> it'll be either next week or in two months we'll see <laughs> exactly oh my god <laughs> Uh, yeah, look forward to that at some point in the future. I mean, realistically, it might have to take that long just because we have to record so many, um, bu- like bumpers about like people who've been canceled since we recorded. I know. <laughs> right. It's so bad. Um, but yeah, look for us on the site. Look for that sometime soon, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> um, and realistically, we'll be back in like a week at least to talk about the Golden Globes as well. Um, all right. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs>